Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Regarding a murder in a haberdashery store on South Spring Street. Stand by for the Christmas respect. That's all. Every time calling all cars goes on the air, a large number of listeners decide to give Rio Grande Quatch gasoline a trial. They decide that if it is actually used by more police and emergency cars wherever it is sold than any other gasoline, it must have some advantages over ordinary gasoline. Most of those who test Rio Grande Quatch are satisfied and continue to use it. For government tax figures prove beyond any question that Rio Grande is the fastest growing gasoline market in the West. Last year, Rio Grande Crack gasoline sales were 140% ahead of the preceding year. This is all the more impressive when you realize that Rio Grande does not operate same stations. They believe in letting the independent dealer make his living and do not compete with it. Therefore, every dealer who sells Rio Grande Crack has voluntarily chosen this gasoline because he sincerely believes that it offers his customers a better value than any other brand. We ask you tonight to drive up to the next Rio Grande dealer and ask for Rio Grande Crack, the gasoline that contains tetra ethyl at no extra cost, and learn what we mean by police car performance in your own car. pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. You have heard much criticism of the so-called police complex. This complex, it has been charged by misinformed sentimentalists, is that the police believe a man is guilty until proven innocent. Nothing is further from the truth. It has been my long experience as a policeman that the contrary is true. The conscientious policeman, and there are few who are not conscientious, adheres strictly to the law. A man is innocent until proven guilty. We would rather prove a man innocent a thousand times rather than to find one innocent man guilty and have him forced to pay penalty for a crime he did not commit. Tonight's dramatic story drives home what I am trying to impress upon you. It is a story of a tough, incorrigible, vicious man who, had he not been disclosed as a heinous killer after his first and last murder, might have started out on a reign of terror horrible to contemplate. Tuffy Reed was a gangster, one of our first. But more than that, he was a narcotic user, and despite the fact that he was, in the jargon of the addict user, hopped up at the time that he committed the murder, you are shortly to hear about, Tuffy Reed was a potential slayer. Perhaps you recall the hysterical and sentimental efforts made to save him from the gallows. During that hysterical period of misplaced public sympathy, 
All sight was lost for the vicious crime Tuffy Reed committed in cold blood. Our story opens on a November day several years ago when Detective Lieutenant E.J. Romero of the Los Angeles Police Department runs into a young Mexican of his acquaintance known as Marijuana Joe. Hello, Joe. Oh, hello, Eddie. Wait a minute. What's your hurry? Oh, I gotta see a little. Oh, here, wait. After all, you was wanting to run off from an old pal like me that's thrown you in the can six or eight times. He only thinks me five times. Is that all? Seems like more. Been behaving yourself, Joe? Sure. Staying away from those reefers? Oh, sure. Don't look like it to me. What you got in that suitcase you're carrying? I don't know. It belongs to this friend of mine. Anna Katie. I gotta go. Just a minute, Joe. I think I'll take a look at that suitcase. Now, listen, lady. Pipe down. Hmm. Good-looking fur coat, Joe. Where'd you get it? I, uh, I found it. Lucky guy to find the fur coat. Where'd you find it, Joe? Okay. In a car park on Hill Street. I don't suppose you took the trouble to take the license number of the car, huh? No. You can have the coat, Eddie. Thanks. And you can have about 30 days. Come on. For several days, police attempt to find the owner of the stolen fur coat, but failed. Then about a week after his arrest, Marijuana Joe sends Lieutenant Romero. The officer faces the suspect in his cell. Joe, what's on your mind? Listen, Eddie. My mother, she's sick. She's gonna die, maybe. She sent for me. She wants to see me. That's an old gag, Joe. You don't expect me to fall for it, do you? I swear I tell the truth, Eddie. I swear it. You let me out. You let me see my mother before she die, eh? Not a chance. Oh, but listen, Eddie. I'm not lying. Look, you go with me if you don't believe me. You let her see me, and, and then you bring me back. I'm afraid I can't do anything about it, Joe. Oh, sure you can if you want to. You don't look to me like the kind of guy that would keep a fellow from seeing his old mother before she dies. You won't do that, would you? Well, no, but I, I can't be sure that you're telling the truth. You come with me. You see. Well, I'll see if I can do anything about it. Eddie, if I ever get a chance to do you one good turn, and believe me, you count on me. You're the whitest copper I ever meet. What's on Joe's mind, Eddie? Oh, he claims his old lady's dying and he wants to get out of here. Oh, ain't very original, is it? Well, I know it's an old story, Jim, but I've got a feeling that the kid's telling the truth. He's too upset about it to be putting on an act. What's he going to do? Turn him loose? Well, after all, nobody's claimed the coat. We can't hold him in the can forever without a complaining witness. Yeah, well, that's right enough. And I'd hate to think that I was the cause of preventing a dying mother from seeing a kid before she bumped off. You're getting soft, Eddie. I'm just indulging myself. Well, maybe it's the Christmas spirit. Detective Romero does bring Joe. More than a year passes. Detective Romero, now working on a gang of boxcar thieves out of the Lincoln Heights station, have forgotten all about Marijuana Joe's promise. But one January's day, the little Mexican walks into the office of Romero and his partner, Detective Lieutenant Lofthouse. Hello, Eddie. Well, hello, Joe. How's it? Okay. You know my partner, Lieutenant Lofthouse, Joe. This is Joe Lorella, Tommy. Pleased to meet you. Hello, Joe. Sometimes known as Marijuana Joe. No more, Eddie. I've been off the reefer since you freed me last year. On the level? You're going straight? Yeah. That's fine. I'm glad to hear it. Going straight and going to Hollywood at the same time, eh? Oh, what do you mean? Oh, I noticed you ain't wearing a hat, just like them Hollywood movie actors. Oh, 
I lost my hat. It was new brown one. Had my initials in it and everything. Too bad. Where'd you lose it? I don't know. I just lost it. Let's say, Joe. How about your mother? Did she? No. She get better, Eddie. She was real sick, though. But she says she gets well because I come home. I no forget what you did for me that time, Eddie. Well, that's all right. I'm glad your mother got well. She uh, prays for you every night, Eddie. Yeah. I don't deserve that. It's just, I just... Oh, say, Eddie. Uh, by the way, uh, you remember Coffee Reed? Huh? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. They sent him up to the phone school that I owned, didn't they? And they sent him there. But he ain't there now. No? No. He's in town tougher than ever. Where's he staying? With his aunt, I think. Her name's Edward. He's over on Fancy Street near Maine. Oh, just make a note of that. It would be a good idea. If he's as hard as you say he is, we'll drop over and pay him a visit. Well, uh, I gotta go, Ellie. I'll see you later, uh, maybe. Okay, Joe, drop in any time. Now, what the devil was that all about? Oh, the kid used to be on marijuana. I threw him in the can last year when I found a hot fur coat on him, but I couldn't get a complaining witness, so I signed him. And now his old lady prays for you, and by kindness you've rehabilitated him and turned him into a useful citizen. Oh, an informer. What do you mean? What do you suppose he dropped in here to see me for? Did he tell you he was a good boy? Oh, no. He figures he owes me a lot for getting him out of the can, but he doesn't want to be a saint. He dropped in to do me a favor. Which is what? To tell me that Tuffy Reed has escaped from my own and is back in town. How much is that information worth? I don't know. But we're going over to Mrs. Edwards' house on Fancy Street and find out. Yeah? Mrs. Edwards? Yeah. You're Clarence Reed's aunt, aren't you? Yeah. We're police officers, and we dropped in to ask you about Clarence. Clarence. What do you want to know about him? He's not here. He's in the reform school. He's escaped from the reform school, Mrs. Edwards, and we understand that he's staying here with you. I said he wasn't here, didn't I? Well, we don't have to ask you to let us search the place for him. Well, all right. If you'll give me time to get something on, I'll just get him dressed to go to town. Very well. I'll just be a minute. Very much. Hello. Our cop is going off and here, Mrs. Edwards. We've got to get back to headquarters. 
I hope you'll let us know if Clarence comes here. I certainly will. Good day, Mrs. Edwards. Good day. <laughs> All right, Clarence, if you come out of the trunk now. Boy, I just fooled him, huh, Andy? When did I tell the boys about those two dicks swapping wine on the trunk I was hiding in? Convinced by Mrs. Edwards, the two detectives concluded that marijuana Joe had given him a volunteer. However, the next day, Lieutenant Romero has occasion to remember his interview with the Mexican when he goes to the office to see the detective George K. Holmes to make a report on the case on which he's working. So that's the score today, Chief, and it looks as though we'll have the other three boxcar cooks in the can before the week starts. Fine work, Eddie. I'd have to be congratulated. Thanks, Chief. I'll keep you informed on the development. Okay. Hey, good looking hat there on the table, Mark Evans. Yeah, nearly brand new. What case is that from? Elfenbein murder. That's the only clue. Elfenbein murder? That's a new one on me. Happened a couple of nights ago. Two young thugs walked into Elfenbein's store on Spring Street and held him up. And Elfenbein drew a pipe. When the kids knocked him out and then shot him in cold blood. They took it on the land, but one of them lost his hat. Any luck scraping it? No. A label from the store in Santa Maria. The proprietor doesn't remember anything about it, except that he put the initials J.H. into the hat band for the kid he's older to. J.H. J.H. That brings a bell somewhere. Oh, my face. What new brown one? That's my initials in it. Oh, hello, huh? Say, I know whose hat this is, Steve. You do? Sure, Joe Herrera. Marijuana Joe, we call him. He came by to see me the other day. Sent me off on a wild goose chase after Tuffy Reed. Said he'd been going straight. And when I kidded him about not wearing a hat, he said he'd lost it. I'll bet that screwy Mexican got all hopped up on marijuana and bumped, bumped off Elfenbein. Mm, sounds reasonable, Eddie. I think you'd better drop that bus car gang for a few days and get on this thing right away. Within an hour, Romero is questioning marijuana Joe at headquarters. Joe, I thought you told me you were going straight and laying off the reefers. I am. Since when? Since you pinched me last year and let me go? Since last week, you mean, when you got all hopped up and went down on Spring Street and bumped off Sam Elfenbein. Yo, no, Romero. I didn't pull that beast. Puffy Reed rubbed that guy up. Oh, so that's the reason you sent us on that wild goose chase after Tuffy. Trying to put the finger on him, huh? No, no, on the level. Listen, I tell you the straight of it. Well, Joe, we went over to see Tuffy's aunt and we searched the joint and Tuffy ain't there. Now, that's what you think. Puffy was hiding in that trunk you guys were sitting on. What? Sure. I see his brother today, and he tells me all about it. He thinks it's very funny. Yeah, isn't it? But that doesn't get you out of it, please. One of the two birds that bumped off that storekeeper was described as swarthy skinned, and one of them left his hat. The hat he left is yours. Looks bad, though. Listen, Ed. I'm only up and up with you. If I pull that job, you think I tell you I lost my hat? You think I even go near the police station? You can't tell what a guy'll do when he's been kicking the gong around. I tell you, Eddie, I ain't smoked a reaper for a year. Looks like a pretty right case against the Joe. Listen, Eddie, I think you were a friend of mine. Maybe I'm wrong. Sure, I'm a friend of yours, but two and two make four, you know. Yeah, in that case, you cannot count it. That's pretty good. Now stop being so smart and listen to me, will you? Sure, I'll listen to you, but I don't promise to believe your story. Okay. But listen to it anyway, and it's true. I swear it. You see, you enough to make anybody go quick. All right, Joe, let's have the story. All right, Joe, let's have the story. About a week before that murder, Tuffy, he comes over to murder. Tuffy, he comes over to my house and wants to stay all night. I don't want him, because I've been on the level, and I don't want to get mixed up with those smugs anymore. Tuffy, he get hard about it, and 
There was nothing I could do. Puppy, he stayed a couple of nights, and when he leaves, what does a dirty bum do but he steal my new hat? Very nice so far. All right, don't believe me. If it makes you feel any better. Is that all there is to your alibi? No. The night of the murder, I run into Tuffy and a red-headed guy named Lawrence McMullen over on Bunker Hill. I say to, to Tuffy about swiping my hat, and he say he, he that evening he killed a man in a, in a haberdashery store. He say that he bumped me off, too, if I tell anybody. That's why he to you about Tuffy being in town. I was trying to do you a favor. Then get off the hook yourself. Oh, why, you copper so suspicious all the time. We can't afford to be anything else. Listen, there is easy way for me to get out of this. Yeah? What? There was witness at that shooting, wasn't there? Yeah, I think Elfenbein's brother was in the store. Okay. You take me down there and take down pictures of Tuffy and McMullen from your notebook and see what Elfenbein says. Okay, Joe, we'll do that right now. <laughs> You, Mr. Elfenbein? Yes. I'm Lieutenant Romero from the police department. I've been assigned to the investigation of your brother's murder. Yes. Did you ever see this young man before? Hmm? No, never. Look at him carefully. Are you sure he wasn't one of the two thugs who came in here that night? No, he wasn't. I never saw him before. See, I think. what I tell you. Mr. Elfenbein, I have a couple of pictures here. Do you recognize these two faces? Yes, they are the two who came in here. This one shot Sam. Don't Thank you very much, Mr. Offenbach. You think you will catch him? I think so. He shot my brother in cold blood while he lay unconscious on the floor there. Lieutenant, can you touch him? Let me take his life myself. Just as he took time. Well, that would be impossible, Mr. Elfenbein. He must be tried before a court of law. Our law says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. It is from the completely exonerated marijuana Joe, Romero learns the address of a friend of Cuffy Reed, where the visiting is staying. Romero searches the house thoroughly. No trace of Cuffy Reed is found in the house. About to leave, Romero notices a little stack at the back of the house, and upon investigating this hideaway, discovers a crude set of morphine implements. As Tuffy Reed's record shows him to be a narcotic addict, this is sufficient proof of his recent occupancy of the premises. Romero is facing study with this evidence when the youth's father enters the house. Hello, Freddy. Yeah. Here's visitors, I see. Here's Bob the Bull. You this kid, father? Yeah. I'm looking for Tuffy Reed. Where is it? Tuffy Reed. How'd I know? He's been staying here. Yeah? Oh, no, he ain't. That's when I told him, Pop, but they won't believe me. Look at these things I've got in my hand. This spoon and these other gadgets. Who's are they? Uh, sure, I don't know. You know what they're for? Of course not. Suppose you don't either, Freddy. Not me. Say, who do you think you're sitting? This is a hop outfit and it belongs to Tuffy Reed. I found it in that shack out back. That's where Tuffy's been staying. Am I right? Well, as a matter of fact, Tuffy did stay out there a couple of nights. But he don't live here. Where is he now? I don't know. How about you, Freddy? Last chance. Where's Tuffy? I don't know. All right. Maybe a few days in the can will help you find out. When you get ready to talk, send for me, and we'll see what it can do about getting out. For three days, Freddy Hawkins and his father are held incommunicado in separate cells. Then, on a Friday morning, Freddy sends Romero away to be ready to talk. Well, Freddy? Yes, Romero. I got a proposition to make it. What is it? Name the old man, and I'll... 
I'll give you a tip. That's more like it. And if there's a tip up, it means a handful of crowns for me, Dennis. Don't worry. You put Tuffy Reed on the spot and we'll do the rest. All right. Mr. Neal, will you let the old man go home? How do I know he won't tip Tuffy off? Yes, sir. You're doing on this in any way. Since anyway, you and us in temper count, I haven't talked to him since we got two. You don't know a thing about something. Okay. The old man goes free. Now what to do? I want to meet with Tuffy tomorrow. He's expecting me to bring him a deck of snow tomorrow afternoon. Where? At the old schoolhouse on the hill over the tunnel. What time? Ten o'clock. Well, let me tell you, Freddy. If you're double-crossing me, it's going to be plenty tough for you. This is on the level. You'll see tomorrow. And I'm telling you, you're going to be well-heeled. That guy is just as tough as his name. He can't stand a pinch, and he don't intend to be taken away. Next afternoon, promptly at 3 o'clock, the police car containing Romero, Hawkins, Captain Stein, and two other detectives cruises slowly by the school building. When they are half a block past the building, Romero turns to Hawkins, who has remained slumped down in the back seat almost out of sight. Oh, sorry, I thought you said he'd be here. He is there. That was him sitting on that retaining wall. Just this side of those poles. Well, why didn't you say so? Because I'm not ready to die yet. I don't want him to see me. Let me out of this car. You guys can go get caught up if you want to, but I want to get out. I've done what you want me to. I put the finger on it. All right, Sergeant. Pull around this next corner and stop. Okay. Wait, you get out here and keep Freddy coming. Yes, sir. Come on, Freddy. Okay, Sergeant. Swing around and go by the school building again. Yes, That man, slow down and let me take it, Sergeant. All right, Eddie. Hop out when the sergeant slows down. Get ready. Pick him up, Tuffy. What? Why, you don't reach for no gun or I'll let you have it. It's like you got there. You didn't give me a chance. It's quite a thing you coming out of the you full of lead. Yeah, that's what I figured. What's the charge? Murder. Murder? Now, what are you talking about? You heard me murder. The murder is Sam Nelson by I never heard of him. I don't know nothing about no murder. We'll see about that. Oh, good afternoon, Lieutenant. Mr. Altenbein, here's another young fellow I'd like to see. Well, that's him. He's the one that murdered my brother. You got me all wrong. My name's James Palmer. I've never been in this place before. Huffy Reed, positively identified by the witnesses' books on a charge of murder. Question for days, he suddenly denies his guilt, denies knowing Red McMullen, his partner in crime. Red McMullen's acquaintances are brought in and questioned. His hangouts are carefully watched, but weeks go by and nothing is heard or seen of him. On March 1st, convinced that their quarry has escaped Los Angeles, police send his picture, fingerprints, and description to every police officer in the West, requesting a careful lookout for the young scout. Two months later, when Tuffy Reed goes to trial, no word has yet been received of Red McMullen. On the third day of the trial, Tuffy Reed takes the stand in his own defense. I was very sick on the day of the murder. I took all the morphine I had before noon. In the afternoon, I got sick again. I got hold of three grains of cocaine. I don't know what happened after that. I remember going into a store someplace downtown because the fellow told me I could get some junk in there. Jury, I ask you, do not be swayed by this attempt to enlist your sympathy 
even if this probably ridiculous testimony of the defendant were a true account of his activities on the day he committed this murder, I cannot believe that 12 intelligent men and women, as I know you are, could feel sympathy for this social misfit whose record we have placed before you during this trial. Consider the fact that during the past four years, this boy of scarcely voting age has been arrested seven times for crimes including assault, burglary, grand larceny, robbery, and violation of the Narcotic Act. He was a fugitive from the reform school at the time he committed the murder for which we're now trying him. Whether he was or was not under the influence of narcotics at the time he shot and killed Sam Elfenbein, the fact remains that he did commit this murder. It is a hopeless incorrigible by the law of the state of California and the consciences of our own hearts he should be made to pay for his crime and force. After 15 hours' deliberation, the jury brings in a verdict of guilty in the first degree with no recommendation for clemency. And the judge quickly sentences Tuffy Reed to die on the gallows. But other powerful forces, swayed by sympathy for the youthful killer, rally to his rescue, and for the next two years, a bitter fight is waged to save him from the news. And in the meantime, a year to the day after Tuffy Reed's arrest, word comes from Chief James C. Drew of Oakland, California, that Red McMullen is being held in the Bay City for Los Angeles. Lieutenant Romero promptly leaves for the North to take charge of the prisoner. Next day, as captive and captor, sit in a drawing room on the Sunset Limited, Red McMullen shows a willingness to talk. Well, it was this way, Lieutenant. Tuffy and I was walking along Spring Street looking at a store window. And we got to this haberdashery store. Tuffy says, let's go in and pick up the joint. And I says, okay. Well, we went in. Everything went along fine until that guy grabbed Tuffy's arm. Then Tuffy swung on him and he went down and out like a light. Tuffy leveled his gun at him and let him have it. Yeah, with a gas in his hand. Then you scrammed, didn't you? Yeah, we took it in the land. He went one way, I went another. Oh, we, we met again an hour later. And uh, let me tell you something. If something we'd have kept his mouth shut, he'd be walking the streets today, and so would I. You know what that boy did? You tell me. He warned me he'd bump me off if I spilled, and I, and I promised I wouldn't. And 15 minutes later, we went into a young Mexican punk called Marijuana Joe. Have you heard him? Seems like I have. Well, uh, this Mexican was beefing about his hat. He and Tuffy's made it from him a couple of weeks before. And what does Tuffy tell him? That he lost it an hour ago in a store on Spring Street where he bumped the guy off. Didn't you try that? I knew that punk had talk. The police might be at the first the next day. Well, you can't blame him for trying to save his own neck. Well, I don't. I blame Tuffy. Yeah, look at the spot I'm in. I didn't bump off Elton Brown. I wouldn't kill no man no matter what the circumstances. I guess according to the law, I'm just guilty of Tuffy. Just about that. You've only got one thing in your favor. What's this? You'll confess. You won't swing for this job, and Puffy will. Romero was right. Red McMullen, although he was found guilty of first-degree murder, was sentenced to San Quentin Penitentiary for life. While Puffy Reed, in spite of the attempts to save him, was hanged in the courtyard of State Prison on April 24, 1925, to the grim satisfaction of the murdered man's brother and the relief of thousands of citizens that there was one less public enemy. Thank you, Chief Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, these broadcasts prove that it does not pay to violate the law. But there is another law, a law which most motorists violate every day, and they pay dearly for each violation. 
Have you heard of the Sinclair Law of Lubrication? Automotive experts agree that the Sinclair Oil Company has discovered a law which is a solution to automotive problems. Every motorist who lives up to the Sinclair Law of Lubrication will reduce his motoring costs per mile and will avoid needless repair bills. Every Rio Grande cracked gasoline dealer is an authority on the Sinclair Law of Lubrication. And by quickly checking the degree of wear on your car, he can tell you exactly what grade of motor oil will make it operate most efficiently. He has an up-to-the-minute reference manual, giving latest manufacturer's recommendations on exactly what oil or lubricant to use on every part of your car, according to the number of miles you have driven. Now, for the first time, you can get a truly scientific lubrication service. The recommendations of your real Grande dealer are backed by the highest authority, the Sinclair Law of Lubrication. It costs you no more to get scientific Sinclair Lubrication. So when you drive in tomorrow to fill up with Rio Grande cracked gasoline, ask your dealer about the Sinclair Law of Lubrication and how it can cut the cost of operating your car.